I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. So welcome to this episode of Eurobytes. I think Todd has been posting a couple of shorts this week. He has been in Tel Aviv and then Warsaw. And today we've got a very special guest, I dare say the most high profile guest we've been having in this fledgling podcast of ours. And um, uh, Gwen Towler, who's actually joining us um, from Ireland, from an Irish countryside pub. So dear viewers, if you're hearing um, lively noises, that's Ireland. And I know that we've got a substantial Irish-American uh, fan community. And uh, we've got tons of questions at uh, Gwen that he is uniquely um, positioned to, to answer. So probably he is one of the unsung heroes of, of uh, Brexit. All of us know Nigel Farage, but obviously such a triumph doesn't happen overnight. It's typically uh, the first baby steps, as it were, taken way before such a thing um, happens. And Grain had been there at the very beginning, working for UKIP in the European Parliament, then for the Brexit Party, now for the Reform Party. And... Um, yeah, so so um, so one of the most interesting people you'll ever meet, and one of the most uh, well-positioned people to speak about Brexit. And with that that being said, probably let let us kick off a sort of a bit of a warm-up, uh, Gwen. Where are we with Brexit? Has it failed, or as to be expected, has it been stalled by what the Americans so beautifully call the deep state? or we started calling the blob, probably just kick us off with your thoughts. This is one of the, yeah. It hasn't failed. However, it certainly hasn't been as uh, successful as I would have liked it to be and the country would have liked it to be. Um, from day one, you had an issue with uh, uh, an establishment that would who saw it as a disaster to be mitigated rather than an opportunity to be grasped. And if you go into negotiations, if you do your negotiations over the process of the setting up of Brexit and so on and so forth, if you go with, uh, generally, you agree with the people on the other side of the table and you do not have a bottom line where you will say, that's it, we're gone. And at no point did our negotiators threaten to leave the room. And if you are negotiating the future of your country, to make it the best possible deal you could and the best opportunity for your country, you need to have the wherewithal and the guts to say, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. If we don't have a better deal, we leave. And they made it clear to the negotiators on the European side that that would never happen. Now, I'm not gonna blame Europe for playing hardball when the British negotiators said, here, here's a ball, make it hard. Can't complain about that. Therefore, so from the very setup, it was not as not as successful as it could have been. However, and then you had years of a guerrilla rearguard action by those people within what you described as the blob, um, but I would just call the, the settled establishment, um, who 
threw down landmines and uh, caused as much trouble going through parliaments. They stopped the parliament being able, they made it illegal for Britain to leave without a deal. So therefore, even when the negotiators changed and there were stronger negotiators, by then, parliament had thrown a curveball at the negotiations. Not just yet. Um, sorry. Um, so good, so the, good. Uh, You're in a pub the, after all, all good. That was done precisely. Um, the, the point being is that if Parliament then actually passed legislation to make it illegal for Britain to leave with no deal, what's called the Ben, the Ben, the Ben law, um, it made it almost impossible, truly impossible to, to get a good deal. Uh, and now we see uh, the ramifications of Brexit. There, there's downsides. Nothing was, uh, you know, the, the omelette and breaking eggs, there were definitely things. And I think the country has felt and seen some of the downsides quicker than it's seen some of the benefits. If you look at the current trade deal, uh, trade situation with the world, and in fact with Europe, we're now doing more trade with Europe than we did before Brexit. And we're doing more trade with the world than we did before Brexit. Our manufacturing industry has seen huge investment. Uh, particularly from Japanese cars and things of this sort, that we were told in in the run-up to Brexit that they'd all leave the country fleeing uh, with a two-fingers salute going back to the UK. So that just didn't happen. So I think um, it's certainly not as good as I'd like to see, but it's not as bad as being portrayed. That works. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, that puts some nuance to it whereas then the german media or even if i meet ordinary germans they're like well it's not going so well with that brexit and i always point out the one data point that i have is like well at least economic growth while it's weak it's better than recession which has hit austria and germany for instance but i see lucas yeah. is itching to to chime in here yeah I, I just want to chime in with one little point and uh going thank you very much for explaining this and one of the things that um was so odd in my opinion regarding the whole brexit like the the whole prelude to the brexit um well voting was the fact that so many europeans out of nowhere um felt so how do you say they were so involved they were so interested like um, fabian and i uh, back in the day did politics in hamburg there's so many people even from our party ashamedly one has to say and from the free democrat party um which is basically just another left-wing outlet um, who out of nowhere appeared on British streets and were trying to campaign against Brexit. It's like, um, at this point, um, I was totally lost my mind in this because this was a British sovereign action. Now, you explained how it was torpedoed um, even by the British government, by parliament, in part, like by certain people in parts, especially by Brussels. And what I found so odd throughout the whole Brexit time was the fact that Europeans who just as you said, Christian, um, who typically had like no opinion, who did not know what was going on, out of nowhere turned out to be the smartest people in the room and knowing everything. Now, what I find so interesting is the fact that, as you mentioned, um, Brexit has had its consequences. And now the UK um, stands quite strongly regarding trade relations, while, um, as Christian mentioned before, uh, both Austria and Germany are in dire need of some, how do you say, well, liberalization in terms of trade or whatever you want to do, but at least um, just you know, like get this Brussels yoke either off or lessen the um, lessen the intensity of it um, dropping down on the people's neck. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much. Anyway. Probably, Gwen, one one point. And I'd like to then hand over to Fabian. Obviously, right now, we're seeing that the people who opposed Brexit from the get-go suddenly are in power again. And that leads me over to the Tories and questions we actually may have about the Tories. Fabian, you as, as a recovering German Conservative Party person, would you like to pitch the question um, with regards to what's happening yes at yes absolutely yeah. well just uh when when brexit happened the day brexit happened i remember i listened to um my favorite patriotic church hymn a british hymn i vow to thee my country and um my initial thought was that 
Brexit would be a repulsion of the Angela Merkel 2015 decisions to let in um, all the migrants uh, into Europe. And I thought, well, Britain was going to be a bulwark against this immigration policy. However, as Christian just mentioned, we have all the remainers back in office and it seems like immigration hasn't um, turned out the way that at least many who voted for Brexit thought it would. So my question would be on, on, on the whole immigration uh, uh, aspect, and maybe we can after that lead over to Ireland because immigration is obviously the main issue with regard to Ireland, but let's focus on, on Great Britain uh, for a second on um, the UK. Um, has Brexit done anything to uh, give Great Britain more sovereignty with regard to immigration or has the political elite, especially the Tories, just decided to continue this Tony Blair policy of let everyone in and uh, we'll continue down that road? I, going going to uh, Fabian's question there, I think that when it comes to um, the current Conservative Party have managed to cut uh, over the last tw uh, 12 months, uh, there's no doubt, um, but four times more. Um, they've, they've done all the deals with uh, right reasons why the government is on its because it is tearing itself about the scale of uh, migration. Um, and was talking about is the at Brexit, um, I think seven million EU citizens received uh, between Brexit and now, seven million EU citizens received nationality and the right to stay. That's ten percent of the country. Um, so that was a massive, massive number of people. And many of them have been living in the UK for years. Please don't get me wrong. They, they did arrive at that point. Many been, but they had the rights to stay because they were given a three-year period where they could sign and stay. Um, we weren't in the business of just we were trying to take control of our borders. We weren't in the business of chucking people out. Um, and so that that was. And I think the people of the UK, even though they wanted to see stronger immigration controls, were perfectly happy with that. These these are people who had lived in the UK, had worked in the UK, had become part of us, and there was no desire at all to chuck them out. Um, so that was no problem. But what's happened most recently, with a change in the situation between the UK and the EU, um, particularly big business, particularly in certain sectors, um, went, oh gosh, we can't have people on minimum or lower than minimum wage. Um, and we need to maintain our profits. And to do that, we have to pay people virtually nothing. Well, we need people, for, we can't get those people from the EU anymore. So now we've had this mass immigration from not, um, not the ones who are coming across the channel on boats, though that is still happening, but legally, um, bringing in fact, I mean, you've got the idea that if you come here as a student, you can bring in your parents legally, not just your wife or your husband or your children, but your parents as well. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, that's never been part of, uh, of legal immigration over the years across the, across the world. That's not been how. Um, you can bring over your spouse more often, but no. um, so I'm sorry about the Wi-Fi keeps all bouncing in and out. I don't know if you can hear me, but it, it is. Um, but that and that has been a significant problem, and this is one of the main reasons. I mean, it is astonishing to consider that right now. The Labour Party, that has always been the party of open borders, is trusted more on immigration than the Tories, because the Tories promised tens of thousands and welcomed in 700,000 last year. So nobody trusts them, nobody believes a word they say. Um, and it is it is gearing up that this coming election, sometime in the next year, is going to be an election primarily about immigration. I think so. uh, which plays into what reformers do. Um, so, and the current row in Westminster about whether you be um, in a year is pointless and of, of very little sense. Um, so far, as, as some wit put it, 
we've had three home secretaries go to Rwanda, but not a single illegal migrant. Um, we have sent them 140 million pounds and not a single person has gone. We've, we've promised them another 100 million pounds and still not a single person has gone. Uh, and yet, I mean, trust me, I would take three illegal migrants and put them in my cellar for what? 600 million quid? Yeah, I'd do that. Um, it, it, the, the sheer number of money, amount of money that's being chucked at this problem and getting nowhere um, is, is mind boggling. <laughs> so uh, that, that that's the, that's the state of play with immigration. I mean, in the question of Ireland, it's it is causing problems, um, and there there is disquiet, but the numbers are significantly smaller because obviously Ireland has a much smaller population. Um, um, if that makes sense. Probably to, before we return to the Irish immigration um i mean obviously the numbers are smaller but i think in, in total numbers i think ireland now consists of 20 percent of the people who weren't born there something something to that tune but but probably returning to the tory party and i marvel at that on the one hand it is a party that has been throughout history world history been incredibly successful to stay in power and not mm -hmm. to disappear but yet I want to know what is actually happening. Is it incompetence or is there method to the madness? So I'm looking, I'm pointing particularly to a couple of desperate acts. So Rishi Sunak bringing back um, David Cameron. I always liken that Cameron. to the American Democrats bringing back Hillary Clinton to boost their popularity. I mean, even to the most fanatic establishment Democrat in the United States, it's clear that Hillary Clinton is not going to boost your, your likability uh, ratings. And even to the last conservative in Britain, it should be clear that George Osborne and David Cameron aren't very well liked. They're not liked from the political right of the party. They're not liked from the left of the country. I mean, people justly or unjustly, I mean, I can talk about the issue of austerity all night whether it's a good term or not a good term, but certainly they're not people that boost your profile if you want to get elected. What, what's happening there? Do the British Tories actually want to self-destruct or do they have a particularly disconnected, inept um, leadership personnel at the moment? What's your take? I'm, it's certainly not a conspiracy. This, this lot couldn't organize a conspiracy um there's absolutely no way it's, it's but it is they have they've caught themselves in they, uh, and the camp the cameron bring back um, there are people who respect him there are people who like him, people who would vote for the conservative party um they, he appeals to a different sector and they're no longer that people are no longer tories and they're not going to vote for the tories just because they brought back cameron um that's just not going to happen so that's that's just daft um when it comes to the constant layer of errors um we have a very low grade political class um the 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 sort of people who get involved are not the sort of people who got involved in the past um there is a uh, why would people of quality get involved in a business that is treats you so badly and of which you have very little power as a politician to control the blob as you put it um, the swamp has not been drained the swamp is gets deeper and deeper every year the amount of power held by um, an authority held by civil servants as opposed to ministers is such that ministers find it very hard to get things done you have a huge amount of lawfare where any decision that is slightly controversial is taken to court and that takes two years and the judges have become a law um this is part of this immigration policy that is going through is this significant uh, battle which is going to go through the courts and do the courts have the right to overturn a democratic government and, and how much power do the courts have to stop policies to significant policies by the government if they've been elected on those policies um, are the courts there to tell the people that they cannot have democracy? Um, this, is, this is a massive problem. So why would you go to get the media frenzy 
the attack, the destruction of your personal privacy, the uh, forensic checking on everything you do, the assumption by vast numbers of people that you're an evil bastard and should be shot. Um, why would you put, put yourself and your family through that when you can go quietly and make money in business or do something else? Um, and so the, the sort of people going in either don't have the talent to do well in other, other spheres um, or are, are more part of that system. There, is very, there are very few people in British politics. I think it's true, actually, in Western democratic politics across the board. There are very few people of drive, of conviction, and of the ability and intelligence um, and, the, and the wisdom um, to carry out many of these things. It is astonishing when you see some of these people on the box or read how ignorant they are. They don't know political history, they don't know, history, they know very little. Um, and that way, um, if you look at the sort of people who were in politics in previous generations, it's chalk and cheese. And it's not just conservatives, it's all. Um, so they, they leave themselves open to be captured by systems that, uh, and who would go into the Home Office to control immigration when most of the Home, the home Affairs Office and most of the civil servants fiercely opposed to your point of view, are part of the system that is opposed and, and are professional in, their, in where they are. They know what they're doing. The politician comes in from outside and expects the system to do their bidding and the system kicks back and say no. And the ministers don't know what to do, basically. Um, so that that is that is the problem. So it's not a conspiracy; they are captured. Okay, that, that, that makes makes a whole lot more sense. Fabian and and Lucas, anything you would like to drill down to me? This uh, this point, I can just agree with uh, your assessment, and I'm very grateful to hear this from someone who's who knows this much about British politics to see that. Uh, Part of it seems to be related to just um, ill will, but part of what's happening also seems to be related just to the fact that the politicians are who they are in a negative way. Right. Probably. probably I don't think it's malice. <laughs> I think it's incompetence. Oh, okay. So, see, this is interesting. At first, I thought you meant there's uh, like a malicious part of it as well. It's like. Um, oh, what I can only in, say. In, in uh, the, sorry, in, in, amongst the politicians themselves. I don't, I don't yeah. think it's malice in, in the politicians. I don't think it's ill will and ill meaning. They're mostly decent enough people. You talk to them, they're nice enough. Uh, they're, not, they're not driven by a desire to ruin the country. I'm far from it. Um, but they are incompetent in the face of an implacable, well oiled, and well financed machine that's against them. I think this describes pretty well, like Fabian and uh, Christian might um, correct me if, if you assume that I'm wrong here, but this does sound kind of like um, someone's assessment of how German politics run like right now. Like you have people who apparently have good intentions, but in the end it all just, um, well, hits the wall. I mean, yeah, at the German system, I don't think even most of the Green Party want to deliberately ruin our country. I mean, that's just, yeah, they're just blatantly inept. <laughs> so there's yeah, that. You know, I, th I think one of the differences between the uh, British system and the uh, continental European system still seems to be that uh, the people who do politics in the, U in the UK are, are mostly people who are well-educated. And as you say, and they, they seem to have good intentions. Like in Germany, I think many people just do not have any intentions at all. Like they just find themselves in politics um, for a lack of doing something different in their uh, private life for like for the sake of not being able to enter the private economy or something. Probably, I, I would like to lead, lead over to, to another topic um, and then kind of dwelling a bit on the question of the um, British conservatives or, or the migration thing. Obviously, you, as you correctly pointed out, Labour, at least verbally, is more trusted on immigration now than the Tories. Um, in part, they have tried to verbally overtake the Tories 
on the right on a number of issues, but then they lapsed back. They didn't quite persevere with the Dark Lord Tony Blair strategy. So we're not, but realistically, I don't think Labour coming into power will necessarily end a lot of the problems, be it immigration or others that we are seeing. And I'm not sure how much of, uh, of it is rhetoric. Um, so then that raises the question to me, like if, is Britain doomed to kind of the status quo and that current malaise, or is there a third option? And on that one, I'm cheekily maybe pushing you a bit on your knowledge. Is there, so, so I mean, no, let, let me ask concretely. So to change British, British politics, which strategy will be more promising? I mean, uh, I've heard in some podcasts the strategy of, okay, change the Tories from within or come with a third party, but who's going to lead that third party? And we've had a couple of interesting alternatives um, that sp have sprung up recently. Obviously, there's reformers uh, led by Richard Tice, which is the former Brexit party. There is the Heritage Party um, that also says some good sort of social conservative things. There is... Rod Little from The Spectator, who leads the Social Democrats, who are well, as the names are Social Democrats, but they are also socially conservative. And there's the Reclaim Party, led by the actor Lawrence Fox. Now, I don't see, except the one led by Richard Tice, as be having the their, their hearts in the right place, but I don't see them having the political acumen to do anything. But so, I digress. What would be the most promising? way for you to change the status quo well, subvert the tories or found a new party i think right now it's going to be finding a new voice um, but you are right to look at the people currently in the lists um, as unimpressive i mean the one you're talking about the rod little willie clouston there's others rod little's uh, stp um, and the, uh, willie clouston's stp is intellectually very it's quite heavyweight but they have the uh, electoral nous and appeal of a. <laughs> they're a broken dog. Um, they, they they do not carry. I think they won two local councillors um, last year in particular very specific places. Um, when it comes to uh, David Kirsten, the Heritage Party, those, he's explicitly Christian. Um, and that has never really had any purchase politically in the UK, apart from Northern Ireland, and he doesn't stand in Northern Ireland, uh, and he doesn't trouble the pollsters, even in places he stands. Um, and then you've got Reclaim, I think uh, Reclaim have, with Lawrence Fox, um, they have money, but nothing else. Um, and sadly, Lawrence's propensity to say things late at night on Twitter undermines any good he may have done in the past, um, which is a shame. Then you come to reform. Well, reform are now beating the Lib Dems, who are the third party in most polls, um, and that is with Richard Tice as leader. Um, if Farage does pick up and decides to get involved, I can see that polling numbers going to 15. Now, that doesn't get you any seats, but it destroys the Conservative Party. And out of the wreckage of the Tory party, it's possible that a reasonable centre-right party could grow. Because right now, um, the Conservative Party, the country as a whole is centre-right. But there is no centre-right party representing them in government and in Parliament. Um, and for all the good the Tories may have done over the last 250 years of their existence, they are not doing anything now. And with the expected wipeout at the next election, um, and we're talking down from 400 seats to 70, 60, um, most of the people who will remain are on the liberal left wing and centrist wing of the party, the technocratic wing of the party, there will be very, very few people that you would recognize as centre-right um, left in Westminster. Um, at that point, a Farage-led reform has a very good chance of picking up the vast majority of the centre-right people in, that are left no longer in power. Now, the reform project was never a, a 
one-year project or a two-year project. It's always, it wasn't this election, it was the next one. We know that we are weak, we know that we're structurally weak, we know that we are uh, uh, manpower uh, and financially weak, but in the event of a, a hammering for the Conservatives and with Farage back in the frame, or supporting ties, which he does already, then I can see those problems being overcome. And yes, yeah, so you got a Labour government. We've got to have a Labour government anyhow. <laughs> um, so there's nothing we can do about that. So for building towards the, the next election, then yes, I can see it's 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 like the Soviet Union. Nobody knew it was going to fall, and oh gosh, it's gone. Uh, nobody knew that the Liberals were going to disappear in the 1918, but they did. And were replaced by Labour. Um, nothing. These things can't happen until they've done. They've happened. Um, so today, a, a centrist, uh, a, a centrist commentator would tell you that it was impossible. But there again, the same commentator in early 2016 would, would tell you Brexit was impossible. The same commentator would have told you that Trump was impossible. Uh, the same commentator would have told you that Wilders was impossible. Um, they they get it wrong surprisingly often. <laughs> That's for sure. Can I just Probably. chime in there for a second? I, I I think what's what's interesting what you're saying is number one we're going to see a labor blowout if I if I understand that right, <clears throat> and then the strategy being destroying sort of the uh, the um, I mean the, so in other words if 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 the Tories were a sinking ship you torpedo it so it sinks faster. Um, the, the, this sort of strategy I've been witnessing in a, in a lot of different parts of the West. I mean, take France, for example. Um, does anybody still think that the Les Républicains are a serious party? Um, I don't because obviously the French right has been taken over by Marine Le Pen. Um, you look at what's happening in the United States that you sort of have the, the rhino wing uh, being completely torpedoed by uh, the MAGA Trump wing. And even within Germany, even though Germany is still, I mean, I always say the the people of punctuality are going to be the slowest in any development. So Germany is always going to be last when it comes to any of these developments. It is interesting that there are some members of the alternative for Deutschland, the AFD, that are first of all looking to torpedo the CDU to torpedo the, the former Merkel party. Um, however, the, the polls have not been um, uh, restating this, this uh, strategy. In the long run, it could happen. But you are basically saying that you're going to take into account that there's going to be a lot of lost years, unfortunately, if, in that sense, for you, uh, that the Tories first have to be gone in order to completely start over, to rebuild um, with somebody like Nigel at the helm. Is, is, is that correct? That is. I, I'm sadly, I'm, and it is sad. It's not something I'd choose, but the that is the situation we're at. The Conservatives now actively block there being a reasonable centre-right party in Britain. And as such, um, they do not have the right to exist. Nobody does in politics. You actually have to do things that the people want. Um, and their f levels of failure over the last 13 years are so, um, are so, yeah, the, the, the levels of failure are so great, you cannot reward that. They deserve nothing. And if, the, if, uh, if, if you think that the swing to Labour is going to be huge 20 percent 30 percent and reformer taking 10 15 percent as well very few tory seats are safe because our votes are not coming from labor at this point um, now, now so, the danger of this however is that all all of the things that labor will be able to do with a big majority in that's true years. but they're going to do that anyhow they're going to get a big majority anyhow without reform but what we do is put that final bolt through the back of the Tory's head. Mm -hmm. I think That's the point. Um, but you're right. But there's nothing we can do about that. We can't stop them. What we can do is prepare the ground for change in future. 
I think there's a wonderful parallel in German politics. So for years, the CDU, I mean, I was bombarding the CDU with letters when they essentially threw open the border. And I threatened them, look, uh, you're going to lose a vote. I've voted my entire life, nothing else but the CDU. And they're like, well, who do you want to vote for? Do you want to vote for these um, inexperienced and quite often unsavory upstarts from the right, the AFD? Or surely you don't want the Social Democrats because they'd be even worse. And then it turns out the, the same question that arose for the Tories for, uh, with Labour, it's like, well, how worse can they be? And Fabian Lucas and I, Lucas, has been the, the, the lone caller in the desert as the young, younger, wilder one of us. But turned out Lucas was right. Lucas is like, well, there's the accelerationism option. Maybe we need the Green Party, uh, or like right now we have got the so-called traffic light coalition, Green, um, FDP, and, and Social Democrats. Maybe we need them to smash up things so badly that folks will actually see that, um, well, uh, yes, things will get better, and they get better so quickly, it, it will actually wake up all the normies, all the un, uh, apolitical folks. And lo and behold, the Green Party uh, and the Social Democrats and the Liberal Party proved to be such an inept bunch that right now the AFD is running circles around them and said, look, we, we told you um, all along this was going to happen. And so maybe there is a chance of smashing things up. I mean, I expressed the worry at the time, look, sometimes things can get so bad that you can't come back from that. But I guess I have to say Lucas was right. And uh, right now the Green Party and the Social Democrats, they are one of the most unpopular coalitions we've ever had. And something good probably can arise. <laughs> Well, I would have been happy not to be right in this point, but it's like um, after after 2015, when the whole migratory movement um, came through my home region, you know, my family back in the day I was studying um, in the U.S. and so I couldn't really see this in person. So they went to the Austrian-Slovene border and took pictures and sent them to me, and I was like, "Wow, this is like a never-ending caravan of people." There's you could see thousands of people coming in there, and you saw like three or four Austrian policemen were like completely helpless. And I realized, okay, this, this country of my childhood, this whole area where I spent my childhood, you know, where you could just, um, you took your passport with yourself and went over to the Slovene side of the river to just um, grab lunch and go back um, to the Austrian side. It wasn't there anymore. So from this point on, when I got back to Germany in 2016, then I realized that while so many Austrians were actually into finding out what's happening there, and you see uh, back in the uh, 2015 and on, onwards, you see the Austrian electoral results and the German electoral results. Like Germany has always lacked um, a right-wing party that was like that was able to gather more than five to ten percent of the votes. And keep in mind that AfD used to be really, like I don't want to say a single-issue party, but they really never. It never really took off, um, except for, um, let's say, for more critical stance towards migration. And only now, like eight years later, um, Germans do realize that the policy, the politics that they have elected, and I, like, it's not just uh, the the traffic light coalition, the Ampel. It's also been um, Merkel's last eight years. Like, keep keep in mind that. Merkel's first government, um, this um, CDU-SPD coalition was kind of like odd, but still like, I don't think it caused this much damage. Then 2009 to 2013, you had this um, center-right liberal coalition, um, keeping in mind though that the FDP was kind of like, like the British liberals among Nick Clegg back, like if, if you may remember him, um, but for the past eight years, like for, for the second half of Merkel's um, chancellorship, um, things went down. Things went down the drain. Now, um, years later, you see the um, consequences happening. You see that um, in Germany, people like the economy is tanking, uh, safety is tanking, um, infrastructure is tanking. And I think this is something that people could have seen like eight or nine years earlier. And now, this 
I don't, I don't really want to call it accelerationism because the bad thing about accelerationism is, and this is what Christian Fabian always pointed out, you never know when it stops uh, at first. And secondly, um, it's going to affect you as well. Like you can't be a bystander. You're going to be um, right in the middle of the whole accident. Um, but now it's happening. And I think apparently, like, I think next year Germany is having its next elections or in two years, two years, right? Okay. Um, I hope that people know where to make um, their cross on the ballot, but I'm not really sure that people actually, well, that they're going to give their vote uh, to a party that's actually interested in making this country function once more. Like in the eastern states in Germany, you can see that AFD is by far the strongest party now, and I can understand that, but... Um, it's something that wouldn't even have been necessary had the other parties actually addressed the needs and the issues of these people, not just um, considered them weird, weird people who are still longing for Eastern Germany or for the communist times, because no one is longing for the communist times. There's like 3% crazy people who still vote for the, um, for the Linke or for the, um, what do you call, uh, Fabian, what's it called? Uh, this new party that Sarah Wagenknecht uh, wanted to, or wants to found. But the majority of people in Germany, um, I think are actually interested in improving the situation. They only think that um, voting for Merkel or Merkel's party is enough to solve the issue. Obviously right. not Merkel. I'm, I'm still so, back in the past, apparently. So, Probably to, to steer us towards more cheerful things, because again, I want to tap into Gwen's tactical acumen. So we've now talked about where we are and Gwen has outlined where it could be going. And that I think both in Germany and the, the UK, the Tories need to be smashed to pieces and we shouldn't worry so much about getting a left government. Well, we've already have that in Germany, very left. And in the UK, you're going to get it. Another thing, and Green, I know that you and Nigel at the time were absolute um, specialists for great publicity stunts, and you know, um, to, that that led an exasper exasperated Irish journalist to say, and then they used humor, um, and and one one of the let, let, so let, let's let's start from from the present, and then you can point also back to the past. Right now, Nigel is in the celebrity jungle camp. It also exists in, in Germany. What do you make of that? And then probably tying it into like various publicity stunts that you guys have pulled off that always got lots of attention towards UKIP and uh, ultimately probably stunts that may, maybe the new European right is kind of under leveraging still. Back there again. Um, hmm. Well, tonight is the final vote. Uh, on who wins this ridiculous jungle ex escapade um, of eating kangaroo bottoms and having powdered and liquidized marsupial penises to eat, drink, and things of this sort. Um, it is a delight. It is basically it's it's a program for washed up celebs uh, to earn a bit of money before their star their star finally sets behind the ocean. Um, but in the case of Farage, they've been trying to get him for years and he's always turned them down. They offered him £500,000 um, back in 2016, turned it down. And he actually said, if you give me a million, I might think about it. And they wouldn't then, but they've offered him one and a half million quid to spend. As he said to me just before he went into the jungle, this has got to be the, the richest, most expensive detox in history. Um, <laughs> He's not allowed to drink while he's over there. He is allowed to smoke, however. He's just not allowed to smoke on camera. <laughs> but um, the there was there was a definite attempt by, on the part of the people who made the film uh, to downplay him, to damage him while he was there, the way that they were covering it, all the rest of it. And there was a kickback against that, and they've had to stop. Um, but it's rather stupidly the presenters have been attacking not just Farage, but his, his TV program and the state the station he uh, works for. So that station has now gone full pro-Farage and is now spending half its time getting people to vote for him. 
um, because they were the ITV, the main, the people who make this program, were insulting not just Farage but his audience. Um, and the, I mean, the head of ITV was literally slating him two weeks ago to a bunch of TV uh, moguls and executives. It was recorded. You've just paid the guy one and a half million quid. <laughs> but the bottom line is, and I was I was literally standing sit, sitting having coffee outside a supermarket a couple of days ago, and on both sides of me were tables. Normal people just gone shopping. Both sides were talking about I'm a celebrity because it's that sort of television program. People do, it gets front page of the newspaper. Yesterday, Farage is cheating on the front page of the left wing newspaper. Uh, full front page. Uh, don't they realize that giving him publicity will just get him more votes? The idiots, but okay. Um, but both sides of me at these tables, people were talking and saying, but you know, I didn't think I'd like him, but he's, he's, he's quite a nice bloke. And Farage's own idea, what he wanted to do, was to defang himself. Get a lot of money, true, but also in the public eye, he's seen he's been, the publicity he's been given by the left, particularly, and the establishment, is he sees a bit of a monster. And they've seen him. And he's talked about politics and he's with the celebrity and the other people on the and he's explained himself and he's defended his positions and he's been a and he's come across as an ordinary bloke. And, uh, and this is what I heard from both sides. I couldn't believe I was sitting there just listening to this. And it's exactly what the plan was. It's what I witnessed sitting there and there. Um, and that, what I think, is extremely interesting. He's going to come. They thought they were damaging. He's going to come back stronger than ever. Now, I believe so. how he uses that, how he uses that, I don't know. How many I've been working with Nigel since 2004. I cannot tell you how many times the establishment has underestimated him. The reason he, the reason why he became the figure he did wasn't the work he'd done for Brett Phil Yugin, though that was slowly rising. It was when Nick Clegg, the deputy prime minister, who had known him in Brussels as an MEP basically came to the conclusion that he, Nick Clegg, was bright and brilliant and clever and could take Farage on, on debates. And because he was so bright and brilliant and clever, he would defeat Farage in three TV debates. Farage won them all. And that, not the BBC giving him space, but that is what catapulted Farage from a, 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 a sideshow to part of the mainstream political debate. And it was because they underestimated him. And they've done it time and time and time again. And this is just another example of this. Because he he represents people that the establishment think are stupid. He represents people the establishment think they think he is stupid because obviously they are intelligent. They are good. And Farage is if they're intelligent, Farage must be stupid and bad because they are good people and he disagrees with them, so therefore he must be bad people. And people don't like that. And they don't mind that he smokes, they don't mind that he drinks, they don't mind that he's had a number of affairs. Most of his partners have been foreigners. They even think that's funny. Uh, <laughs> this dreadful person who hates foreigners, well, how is it that his wife? His girlfriend and so on and so forth uh, are foreigners. Um, this they don't mind that. What they don't like is the hypocrisy. Um, and yes, I, I, I was I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago, and I was walking up the Champs Elysees, and I thought oh, the last time I was here, I was kettled. This was about fifteen years ago. You have done this stunt about the French were illegally banning British beef uh, from the French market. And we'd turned up with great sides of frozen beef and were staggering down the Champs-Élysées with some of our European parliamentary members. They, of course, had diplomatic passports, didn't they? We didn't. The staff didn't. So I was now stuck in the rain carrying half a side of frozen beef surrounded by the CRS for about four hours. <laughs> Uh, yes, these things happen. Um, politics is such fun. Um, I, I remember being stopped by the parliamentary authorities in Brussels, having this ridiculous argument. I was in Strasbourg with them. Um, I'm, here I am dressed in a chicken suit. It was about the constitution. 
European Constitution. They weren't allowing a proper vote on the Constitution as it went through the European Parliament. Um, and obviously, too chicken for a vote. Ha ha. And I'm, I'm standing there arguing the parliamentary authorities. I, go, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm a 35 year old man in a chicken suit arguing about democracy. What? <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, you all, know, this, all this, these things, all these things did add up. Um, yeah. I mean, the fact that I mean, this year, um, Farage went along to the Tory conference. Fine, and he danced with Pretty Patel, and he he had a lot of fun. Many many Tory members prefer him to their own leadership, and so he was having a whale of a time. La da da. Um, and poor old Rishi Sunak, you, there you are at your own party conference. You're the prime minister. You've got all these big shit things to do deal with. And what do the press want to know? Will you allow Nigel Farage back into the Conservative Party? And the poor man, he's trying to run a country, and all the press were interested in was whether Farage could be let back into the Tory party. I just, uh, uh, he had, he's a past master of winding them up, causing them trouble, um, and things of that sort. But uh, so. Yeah, it, 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 it's entertaining. He'll come out of the jungle tonight, um, having won it. Well, basically, there's three left. There's two votes tonight. I don't know how he's going to do. He might win, he might not. But he's going to come out. He's going to sit like Smaug on the great pile of money and contemplate what he does next. He doesn't even know. I've actually tried to come in touch with the guys who are over there. He doesn't know that David Cameron is the new foreign secretary. He's been in the jungle. <laughs> He's going to come out of the jungle and go, what? <laughs> what happened since I've been away? <laughs> Um, so oh, he's got to sit and think. So I don't think he'll make a decision until Christmas. He's got to probably have a holiday, wash, have a proper shower, um, all that stuff. Eat some uh, decent uh, British Sunday roast. Yeah. Um, fly back to England, <laughs> have, have, have Christmas, and then decide what to do. Um, I hope he gets re-engaged fully with politics. I think he can mass make a massive difference. But obviously, he's got an income. He's got, he, But with him... With him comes funding. With him comes donors. If he re-engages properly, then suddenly reform or whatever vehicle he wants to use will have the money. It will be able to pay people proper wages. It will be able to employ people to do the jobs that need to be done in politics. Right now, reform don't have that. With him, it will. That makes that makes real sense. Um, if I may just add one more thing, then I need to um, I need to leave at one point in some minutes. Um, so what I think with Nigel Farage does well, and what he's always been doing well, um, in our older episodes, both in the German podcast and some former Eurobytes episodes, we've talked about the um, like who's been the mastermind of European right-wing politics, basically. Like you could say, who's been the cool guy who turned uh, being a right-wing politician um, into something that people are like, oh yeah, this guy's a sympathetic guy. And for me, it was always like Jörg Haider, you know, back in the 80s, um, who yep. transformed the yep. Freedom Party um, into, into a party that can actually win votes, in, like, that can actually strive for majorities. It seems like a pop star back in the days. And I think the same goes for Nigel Farage. Now, keep in mind, who are the other people um, who, back in the European Parliament, um, Show like um, showed what a weird show this tended to be. Now, apart from Nigel Farage, who comes to my mind? Janusz Korwin Mikke, for example, from Poland. Um, but Janusz Korwin Mikke from Poland. Oh, yes. Like yeah. Pol Polish right winger. Um, now, no one would consider him a star or or someone uh, sympathetic to any cause because he did like. Unlike Nigel Farage, he's just not a sympathetic guy. But now, um, uh, preparing for our podcast uh, this evening, as reading a bit about uh, um, on Nigel Farage's coverage in The Guardian. And now even The Guardian had a comment this morning um, on, yeah, how they are ashamed to say that he comes across as a pretty sympathetic guy, that they feel like he's relatable. I think this is something, this is Nigel Farage's greatest power, his greatest capability. Yeah. And this is something that right-wing parties 
in Europe need. They need relatability. Um, back in the day, AFD in Germany, for example, when it was a, it was deemed a professorenpartei, like a um, university professors' party, because they were like um, they were considered um, old white men, which is something good, yeah. um, but not not to the German voter, obviously. And they were like, yeah, these are the people who who think that the euro should be abolished because they sit in their ivory towers and stuff. And the great thing that Nigel Farage did, that Jörg Haider did, that Herbert Kickl is now doing in Austria as well, and that one has to say also the AFD has, has gotten its way into. Uh, these parties now know how to appeal um, to all societal strata. And I think this is something really impressive. Nigel Farage, being a well-educated man, and now uh, being on the verge of winning I'm a Celebrity, uh, this is like a, it's back. the cycle of clothing. But I think there's one thing that Farage gets which makes him relatable. He doesn't care if you like him. The problem with most politicians, they desperately want to be liked. You're never going to get more than 30, 40% of people liking you. You're not. Not in politics. So don't worry about it. Don't try and be all things. To, Boris Johnson's biggest mistake is he wanted to be all things to all men. He couldn't be. And so they stop, they stop caring about their own people and try and chase people who will never vote for them. And so this, the, 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 one of the problems the Tories have, this Labour too, stick with who you are, be honest about who you are, and you will have people who like you, and the ones who don't like you might respect you. But don't try and appeal to people who will never vote for you in the first place. Never, just yeah. don't bother. Just be who you are, be honest, and people will recognize that. And there's a lot of the, the people in the jungle with him. Well, I didn't think I'd like you. I don't like what you stand for, but you're all right. You're okay. You're, he didn't back down. He doesn't pretend to be something else. He doesn't. Yeah, I'm in favor of strong immigration, he says to the Congolese Belgian girl. Yes. <laughs> when she says, all oh, black people, they hate you. He said, well, come with me in South London. It's not true. And it's he's right. Um, but he doesn't back down. When they, he's challenged, he's happy to stand up for it. But he does it in a way, I don't really care if you like me. I need, I need to be honest with myself. And that builds respect from people who don't agree with you. And respect is a far harder. Like is fashion. Respect lasts unless you do something to destroy it. Um, and he hasn't. And that, I think, is a, a very, very important aspect of his ability to cut through. As I say, nobody cares if he smokes, he drinks, he shags. They do care if he's a hypocrite, and he's not. Brilliant. I think, I think, Wayne, we're, we're coming up the own. That's a very good way to round off. Well, they're already starting to sing. They're already they're already starting to sing in the background. So I think I think uh, time has has now reached its limits. But look, just one comment from yes. me, and then I hand it over. Um, Machiavelli already wrote. It's better to be feared than it is to be loved. And what we yes. need now are, are politicians, leaders, not politicians. We need leaders who actually believe in getting something done, getting something accomplished. Statues are built usually after you die. People who have their statues raised in post-mortem are usually those that were hated in the contemporary times. So um, that that's always something that people in, in this cushy uh, establishment of today don't understand. Having said that, I want to thank you on my part. It was it was very interesting to get that insight. And if Nigel does pull it off to become prime minister, I bet you a lot of politicians around Europe are going to go to the jungle. Uh, that that's probably said, true. Yeah. That, thank you very much. Okay. Said, thank you so much for your time, Green. Thank you for being and here. We would love to have you back, obviously, because there's so much where we want to, um, yeah, to to really um, pick your brains. I mean, there were there was a lot of gold in there. Be that Europe uh, elites back then, elites nowadays. The Nigel Farage elites, and and again, I'm you know um, um, always like to say you you had also a very interesting upbringing in an old England. That's probably in England that that was probably more how most people would picture it, and then and, and reflects how elites were raised there. And that's something we want to pick up in one of the upcoming episodes. But for now, enjoy your pints and uh, and the singing, which will no doubt ensue and uh, great to have you and uh, hopefully see you soon take care
Thank you. Let her thank you so much for being here. <laughs>